Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Thanks for joining us tonight for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah. I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage. And tonight we have a great program for you. So you'll just have to DVR the Super Bowl and watch it later. We do have call screeners standing by this hour. And you can call them with questions or for prayer at 929-333-3739. Quick shout out to Omar and Juan tonight who should be listening. And we hope that you are blessed by tonight's program. Pastor Matt, during our Wednesday night replay this week, we had a listener call in and ask a really good question. Can we start out with that tonight? Sure enough. Okay. All right. So they asked, 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the que- the listener asked, does that mean that God does not want us to love living? Absolutely not. So the word world is actually used in a number of different ways in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just dis- it's used for the, c- the world of creation, which is beautiful that God has made, mm-hmm. that we can enjoy. Sometimes it's used for the world of humanity, for God so loved the world mm-hmm. that he gave his only begotten son. son. And then other times it's used for the system okay. of Satan, which he's established in this system of the world, mm-hmm. which is defined there in that verse, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Mm. That's the world that we're not supposed to love. Mm-hmm. Like the Grammy Award Awards world of last week that was filled with satanic imagery and almost devil worship, mm. things like that. We're not to love this world of mm-hmm. lust, mm-hmm. of pride, of anti-God thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to clarify, First uh, John 2.15, the very next verse, 16, is the one that says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, etc., which you just mentioned. So uh, that, that's what John is referring to. So it's not the world, the cosmos in general. Sure. It's, it's the system. Yeah, because the earth is the Lord's mm-hmm. and the fullness thereof, the world mm-hmm. and they that dwell therein. Okay. And God loves the world, yeah. for God so loved the world. Mm-hmm. So... There's obviously something different being spoken of. We yeah. are to love the world of people. We're to love mm-hmm. souls. We're, we're to love what God has created. Yeah. But we're not to love the, the, the system of Satan mm-hmm. that is behind this world system, really Babylon. It's yeah. like the, the system of Babylon mm-hmm. that is going to meet judgment in the end mm-hmm. before at the coming of Christ. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, great to be here, and it's wonderful to have back with us Dr. Esther Hahn, who is are always working with our call screeners, but yeah. tonight on our panel. So, Dr. Han, good to have you. Great to be here. And uh, and Sister Jeannie, our resident artist at Heritage Baptist Church, been in our church for 20 years now, Sister Jeannie. You're a blessing thank in you. our church. And uh, thank you for being with us tonight. And I'm so glad that we can have this conversation this evening on Jesus, the true vine. So let's, let me just start off with just a brief story. It's stories told of, a, of an alcoholic who, who became a believer. Hmm. And the man was asked 
by someone else. How can you believe all that nonsense in the Bible about God's miracles and creation and, and Jesus rising again? And one skeptic asked him, you can't believe all that stuff, can you? I mean, can you really believe that Jesus changed water into wine? Hmm. And the man answered, I sure do, because in our house, Jesus changed whiskey into food and clothes for my kids and furniture mm. for us all. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you believe in Jesus and abide in him, he can change sorrow into joy and he yeah. can turn, turn whiskey into clothes and food and furniture mm. for your family. Mm. And so may the Lord do miracles like that in our lives tonight. And we're going to read John chapter 15 about Jesus, the true vine. And we'll start it off with Micah reading there in the first verse. John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. The men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you have given us these words of Jesus recorded for 2,000 years, Lord. And we just pray that as we discuss it tonight, that your spirit be within our conversation, Lord. And we do think of the victims of the earthquake in Turkey and Haiti, Lord, and we just ask you, Lord, to care for those people, um, those who still need to be rescued, those who have survived. Give comfort to those who have lost loved ones, Lord, we pray. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, dear friends, perhaps tonight you feel weak in body, sick, perplexed in your mind. Maybe you're pounded with temptation Maybe you feel a deep sense of your own sinfulness and you're conscious of your failure and you're just not living up to the promises that God has given to you. And somebody has likened it to the Christian life. We often feel like a diver underwater 
without air or a firefighter in a burning building with an empty water hose. So there's pressures in this world, even as we mentioned, the, mm-hmm. the pressure of the world, the flesh, and the devil yeah. pounding in on us. And here's the cure, mm-hmm. abiding in Jesus Christ. Amen. And if we can pray with you this evening about your spiritual relationship, we would love to have you call. We have some really great call screeners who would share God's word with you this evening at 929 333 3739. But this evening, we want to talk about what does Jesus mean when he says he is the true vine? He doesn't just say he's the vine. He said, I am the true vine. And he says, my father is the husbandman. And then what does it mean when he says, abide in me and I in you? We really want to dig into that abiding relationship Mm -hmm. with Jesus Christ. But first, let's talk about the meaning of the true vine, Esther. So if you could just summarize for us what your understanding of that is when Jesus said, I am the true vine. Sure. Pastor, I just wanted to start with the fact that I'm really excited about this chapter. Um, God provided a time of isolation for me right before January 1st this year. Hmm. And this was the chapter actually that God wanted me hmm. to meditate on. Oh, wow. And I was actually thinking to myself, oh, you know, it'd be nice to study it um, as a panelist. And actually it all worked out. I didn't request mm-hmm. it or anything mm-hmm. and it worked out. So I really did enjoy preparing this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, I was reading one of the p- commentaries regarding this, and one commentary describes this passage in the context that Jesus and the disciples just completed their Passover last supper meal in the upper room. Right. In chapter 13, Jesus washes their feet. In chapter 14, Jesus tells us, and we, went, we just reviewed this, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. He also promises a comforter will come. Mm-hmm. So this is Jesus' time to disciple his disciples before suffering. Mm-hmm. And then throughout these chapters, uh, Jesus reminds them to love one another. And he even says in 14:15, um, if you love me, keep my commandments. And now here we are in chapter 15. And this is where the commentator then suggests, Oh, now they're walking towards the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. They just passed the doors of the temple gates, which are probably open now for the Passover season because mm. they're allowing people to come in and pray. And on these gates are carved clusters of grapes, which represents God's declaration that his nation Israel shall be a fruit, uh, fruitful vine and mm. bear that good fruit for God. Mm. So Jesus here then declares that he is actually the true vine of Israel, that he and only he can fulfill this declaration for God and his people. He reminds me of this verse in Romans 5:19. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, um, we were made sinners. So by the obedience of one man, Jesus, shall many, many be made righteous. So Jesus is the only one that can make us, the branches, be fruitful as God intended us to be. So honestly, like just looking into that picture, it was so beautiful to see Jesus mm just discipling his disciples in this way and Mm -hmm. sharing that, indeed, he is the true vine of Israel. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, he is the fullness of God's vision for a perfect vine. There are many Mm -hmm. passages, and we're going to look at some of them in just a moment, Mm -hmm. where Israel was to be a true vine, but Mm -hmm. they weren't. Yeah, and I, I would just add that at a very basic level, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's also saying that I am your source of all that is sweet in life. From, you know, from my understanding, the fruit of the vine, the vineyard, it's spoken of so often in the Bible from Genesis to Song of Solomon through the New Testament. 
because in the context of ancient Israel, grapes were a main source of sweetness. You know, sugar from the sugarcane wouldn't reach the Middle East from India until centuries later. So people in the time of Christ had grapes, honey, dates, and the pomegranate. So in other words, the vine was more important within the Middle Eastern diet than it is for us today even. So Jesus Christ was at least in part, telling his followers that he was their source of sweetness, gladness, and joy. Listen again to verse 11. It says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Yeah, and and also it's important, I believe, for us to realize that the vine is the whole. Mm -hmm. In other words, he says, we're the branch, and he's the vine, but the branch is not a separate thing thing from the vine a branch is a part of the vine in one if you will the branch is one with the vine and it shows our union with jesus christ so the vine is the whole it's the root it's the stem it's the branches it's the twigs it's the leaves it's the flowers it's the fruit and as a branch we're a part of him so let's look at some of these old testament scriptures that do speak of israel as a vine. And Micah, there's a number of them. The first one we'd like to look at is in Isaiah chapter 5, mm-hmm. 1 through 4. So if you could just read that and, and share your understanding of that passage. Sure. Um, this passage is really beautiful. Isaiah 5, 1 through 4. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it in, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and the vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought forth wild grapes. So here is this vivid picture of a vineyard planted by God, a vine dresser who did everything possible to produce a bountiful harvest. He chose the best possible location, a very fruitful hill, he says. Then he protected it by fencing it in, and he made ready the ground by getting rid of all the stones, and he goes on. So when the vines produce wild grapes, God, through Isaiah, asks the people of Judah the question, what more could Mm. I have done? Why is your fruit rotten? But Jesus, the true vine, is the opposite of the wild vine in Isaiah's illustration. He produces sweet fruit because the branches abide in him. Amen. That is, I just love that question the Lord does ask when he says, what could have been done more? Mm -hmm. He did everything that Israel would be a fruitful vine, Mm -hmm. but they only brought forth the wild grapes. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. Another passage is... In Jeremiah, Jeannie, and if you could read for us there in Jeremiah 2 and verse 21, and what kind of vine is spoken of here? And how is Jesus not that vine? Jeremiah 2:21 says, Yet I have planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? So it says in this passage that this is a strange vine. Mm. Uh, Speaking of Israel, Mm. so um, the vine that God had planted was a noble vine, but Mm. they turned it into a degenerate vine. They were unfaithful to God. 
mm-hmm. and they failed. Um, but Jesus did not fail. He is the mm. true vine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and a few verses earlier in the same chapter that Jeannie just read from, there's a pretty well-known verse, Jeremiah 2.13, which says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken yeah. me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that they can hold no water. And I think that that verse goes along with the idea of the strange vine, because by choice, the vine of Jacob, the people of Israel, they weren't allowing the living water to flow into them. Um, The people of Israel and Judah, they rejected the good, sweet water from God from flowing into their vine. And so logically, nothing good or sweet was coming out. Um, That vine is described in graphic language, as as Jeannie said, a degenerate plant. And when I looked up the Hebrew word for degenerate, the word is sur, and it sounds a lot like our word sour, which means the same thing. It's something that has deteriorated or gone bad. God was basically telling his people that they had gone bad, but now Jesus had come to revive the vineyard. Yeah, and the whole idea of a strange vine, and that's the same word used of the strange woman, the immoral woman in Proverbs. Mm -hmm. And so Israel had become spiritually immoral. They had become an idolatrous nation, as you quoted that verse. Perfect. They had hewn out other cisterns that could hold no water. Mm -hmm. They were seeking other gods, other idols. And remember, God brought Israel into that land to bring him glory to the world. Mm -hmm. Other nations were to pass through Israel, that literally passing ground of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, all the world traveled through Israel back in in that day, as far as traveling from Mesopotamia and down into Egypt. God wanted his people to bring him glory. Mm -hmm. So he brought judgment to the nations before them because they were strangers to him. They were foreigners. Mm -hmm. And now God is saying, you're becoming like those nations Mm -hmm. that I judged previous. They had become a strange people. And Esther, Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, is a very powerful passage. What kind of vine is spoken of here? And how is Jesus not that kind of vine? So Hosea 10.1 says, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. Um, I'll confess I had a little bit of trouble with the uh, King James English here. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to summarize some things that I had picked up from just comparing, um, one translation, like if, as I compiled all of them, said that the more lavish the harvest, the more promiscuous the worship. The more money they got, the more they squandered on their own gods and their own images, mm-hmm. or they embellished their sacred pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all an example of the empty vine, right? Yeah. Israel is an empty vine. And they brought fruit, and they gave it unto themselves, right? Um, so Israel failed to show forth the fruit that God desired them to see. And these images from 10.1 um, brings me to kind of that performance like you mentioned and also in today's sermon about last Sunday's Grammy Awards, mm-hmm. um, depicting a satanic worship. Yeah. I couldn't even watch it. And all, honestly, like those images you put up today, I had to close my eyes <laughs> uh, because I just couldn't even look at it. It was so evil. Mm-hmm. So then an interesting thing is that it didn't even increase any viewership. So when I looked back and looked at the viewership in 2017, it was maybe 26 million, mm. but in 20 like this year's was 12 million, yeah. and it was Good. only I'm a slight increase. I'm glad people interest. are waking up. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it doesn't even increase. So I don't know what they're using it for. Um, so then this all led me to ask, how did these sat- Satanist, occultist views enter the music industry? And and in a 
in a sermon you had actually spoken um, on, you talk about Aleister Crowley's influence. Mm, and yeah. this man was born in 1875. He died over 70 years ago. But a 2018 article um, dubbed him the wickedest man in the world. Mm. He was a British occultist who who was born of a very conservative Christian family, mm-hmm. and he was vocally against Christianity in every sort of way. He created a cult, he created organizations, and he influenced music. Um, he started with British pop culture, and then he came to the U.S. He he influenced the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, David Bowie, Iron Maiden, and yeah. this year's Grammy Awards is evidence that this influence mm-hmm. still exists in industry today it's that taken, music industry yeah it's mm-hmm. taken like deeper root than oh, ever yeah and so when god or jesus is not present yes the more promiscuous worship becomes mm-hmm. right and that it brings it you're an empty vine mm-hmm. right and you could just see it right now mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah well we don't want to be an empty vine no. we want to be a vine that brings forth glory to god yeah, and as I was thinking about the empty vine spoken of by the prophet Hosea, it really hit home because I think we live in a country that is so prosperous. You know, Dr. Hahn mentioned that Satanism has crept into the music industry, and that's just a modern version of the increased altars of Israel that Hosea spoke about. Um, the prophet was pointing out how Israel's idolatry was due in large part to their prosperity you know, and we we live in a pl- land of plenty, you know, and we've become comfortable. We've forgotten about God, and we've fallen into the idolatry of materialism, and some cases, you know, when you talk about that Grammy performance, um, even devil worship. So thankfully, each individual can detach from that empty vine and then abide in the vine of Jesus. Amen. And his vine uh, is, go ahead, Pastor. Yeah, no, no. Oh, I was just going to say, his vine is full, and we can have a life abundant in him. Praise God, and that is exactly right, dear friends. And we are here to encourage you to abide in Jesus Christ, because this world will lead you to bring forth fruit, but only for yourself, and you'll be an empty vine. This world system will will lead you to become a stranger to God. As Jeremiah spoke about, this world will only lead you to bring forth wild grapes that will be sour and won't have the sweetness that you're actually looking for in this life. Abide in Jesus Mm -hmm. so you could bring forth that true fruit, And there's a last passage we want to look at from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So Jesus said, I'm the true vine. Mm -hmm. He's not like that wild vine. He's not like that degenerate vine. He's not like that empty vine. He said, so that's what Jesus, he's making, I believe, this comparison as Mm -hmm. well to these scriptures because a vine was such a common and well-known symbol to all Jewish people. Even as you mentioned, Esther, they're on their way to... The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus finishes, well, it finishes chapter 14, arise, let us go hence. Mm-hmm. And maybe they pass those doors. That was a beautiful thing that you, mm-hmm. you brought out earlier, and, and there's the vine is on the doors. Mm-hmm. So what's the last scripture here, Micah, in Psalm 80? Yeah, sure. In Psalm 80, uh, it's a psalm of Asaph, and it's different from the passages we just read from the prophets mm-hmm. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Hosea, in that those scriptures were written from the perspective of God speaking to the people. But Asaph, in Psalm 80, speaks the voice of the people, asking God why he has abandoned them. Asaph, he recalls that as their shepherd, he had taken the vine of Israel out of the land of Egypt and replanted it in the promised land. 
And like the vine dresser removing all the stones from the vineyard, God had cast out the heathen people from the land. Asaph describes that the vineyard once flourished, but that now God had broken down the hedges of protection and that boars and beasts have devoured the vineyard. Um, It's implied here that God has removed his protection because Israel had been unfaithful and unfruitful. And let me just read how Asaph finishes the psalm mentioning the promised Messiah. Uh, Psalm 80, verse 17 and then 19. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand. That's Jesus. Upon the son of man. That's another title for Jesus. Whom thou madest strong for thyself. In verse 19, turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. So in my understanding, those verses are a powerful messianic prophecy. Yeah. So at this point, I want to just share a story about Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. And truly one of the greatest books I've read in my entire life outside the Bible is the biography of Hudson Taylor. And it's a two-volume set, and it's just really incredible. It really brings you into his very heart and life. But in one part of the book, and he's about 36 years old at this point in his life, so his ministry is ongoing, and he's, he's, and it's growing, his mm-hmm. China Inland Ministry. Mm-hmm. And remember, he wants to bring the gospel into mainland inland China, but there's all kinds of pressure upon him. Politically, there's a riot and a siege in their home, their, their possessions are plundered, mm-hmm. and they're forced to flee. And then the ministry, at that time, some of the missionaries had left and another had been disciplined. So the ministry was going through that trauma. Mm. Financially, there was a serious shortness of funds because he was starting to get a bad reputation. In fact, he was being envied by some, despised by many, falsely accused by others, hated. He was being blamed for all these things that were occurring. And so there were all these disasters. But that wasn't the biggest thing. It wasn't the political, the ministry, or the financial things that was really causing him his most serious issue. It was his own personal heart mm. and what was going on inside, his own inward struggle. And he described it as the frequent failure and the disappointment of his own soul. He longed for holiness. He longed for power, the power of Jesus Christ, but he felt it was impossible to attain. He felt a deep consciousness of sin in his life, and he felt continually oppressed by temptations. He was irritable. He had hard thoughts toward others. He was unkind, and he couldn't control his tongue. I mean, don't we all go through mm-hmm. all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so he wanted to live Christ, and he was like, how? And then a missionary sent him a letter and sent him a little line, and it was about abiding in Christ. And he said this, how to have your faith strengthened? It's not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. Now, to us, that doesn't seem, that seems like, yeah, sure, we know that. But that somehow hit home to Hudson Taylor's heart. And he found John 15 as the secret. Hmm. And he realized it wasn't about asking God to get the sap or the fruit out of the vine into himself, but remembering that Jesus is the vine. Mm -hmm. That is, he's the whole of it. He's the root, the stem, the branches, the twigs, and the fruit. And that the Christian life is not trying to get anything out of Jesus, but rejoicing 
that we are in him, mm. that we're one with him. And consequently, we have his fullness. And so Taylor realized through that line it, that we live the Christian life not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. He realized he was inseparably one with Christ, that Christ's life was his life. Christ's fruit was his fruit. And this truth was like a revelation to Taylor, and he rejoiced, and he started shouting, God has made me a new man! God has made me a new man! So, dear friends, this is what we desire for your life Mm -hmm. and all of our lives, that God would help us to live out the reality of us being new creatures in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk more about abiding in Christ. We're going to go to a song. And if you want us to pray with you about that, because maybe you're speaking unkind words, you're irritable, you're short of temper, and you feel that the fruit of Jesus Christ is not being lived through you, give us a call. We'd love to pray with you right now at 929-333-3739. Again, that number is 929-333-3739. And we're going to go to this beautiful song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And you call us right now. to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing blood, precious Jesus, how I trust Him. Jesus, oh, for grace to trust in more. 
precious dear friends and Amen. we want you to know him and we want you to trust him and abide in him and that's why we're here even this evening to encourage you to abide in Jesus Christ the vine as Jesus says in John 15 verse 5 I am the vine ye are the branches he that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. And I like the progression here, Mm -hmm. Micah, in this chapter about the fruit. In verse 2, he says to bring forth fruit. And then he says, more fruit. Mm -hmm. And now in that verse 5, much fruit. And then down in verse 16, remaining fruit. And that's what we want in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Is by abiding in Christ the vine. So let's look at this this evening. And first, let's talk about verse 2. Because I actually think there's a bit of misunderstanding about mm-hmm. this verse. Yeah. And let's talk about what does Jesus mean that if a branch does not bear fruit, he, that's the vine dresser, taketh it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, this phrase is a little confusing, as you said, because it sounds like the branch is being cut off completely and removed from the vine when Jesus says it is taken away. But... That can't be the meaning because Jesus said that the branch was in him. He says, every branch in me. Therefore, he's talking about believers. So it's only the branches that are not in him, the unbelievers, according to verse 6, which are cast away into the fire and burned. So the question is, what does Jesus mean? So the phrase, he taketh away, is a single Greek word, airo, that means to raise up, to elevate, to lift up. So the idea here is that the branch is repositioned. You know, we can imagine this because most of us have had plants where one of the branches is drooping down out of weakness or because it's not getting enough sunlight. And what we do is we take that branch, turn it toward the sun, and sometimes tie it closer to the vine usually. And that repositioning, it helps solve the problem. So the same idea is true for grapevines. If you've ever been to a vineyard, you've seen that the vines are methodically arranged in rows, hanging over support fencing. Yeah, uh, and the whole idea as well of it taketh away, it's, it's even used in John chapter 11, verse 41. And, and I was taught in, you know, when we interpret the Bible and we, we try to understand mm-hmm. what do these particular words mean, is look within that chapter, see if that word is used in that chapter, or look in in another place of that book first uh-huh. to see how the writer used that word. Okay. Well, the writer, John, uses that word right in John chapter 11 where it says they took away the stone. Mm-hmm. So the idea of lifting up the stone, they lifted it up and mm-hmm. they took it away. So, and again, that's the idea of lifting up. And, and this has to be, I would agree with you, Micah, I believe that this interpretation of the husbandman, of the father, seeing a branch that is not bearing fruit, Mm -hmm. that his initial response isn't one of impatience to cut that branch off, that would lead to really a problem of interpretation of... Salvation. uh, Yeah, Yeah. do we lose our salvation? Mm -hmm. You know, can we be saved and then cut off from our 
our relationship of Jesus Christ? Yeah. We would say no, that no. when once we're saved, we have that security, mm-hmm. eternal life, and that will never be lost by the grace of Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace and kept by grace. So I believe this interpretation is consistent with our loving Heavenly Father, that he's not desiring to impatiently cut us off, mm. but he seeks to lovingly lift us up mm-hmm. so that we could get the needed son, mm-hmm. get the needed heir, so we could grow yeah. and be fruitful. Yeah. And I do believe that's that's the picture here. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that interpretation, it makes sense with our lives, what we've experienced. You know, I feel like there are times when God lifted me up and turned me back to the sun, so to speak. And, you know, maybe I was weak, maybe I was drooping down and he lifted me back up and then I can bear fruit again. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, so that's the first thing here as we're abiding in the Lord. Remember that sometimes we're not as fruitful and that is the reality, isn't mm-hmm. it? We're not as fruitful like Hudson Taylor. He was in Christ. But he he struggled with bringing forth the fruit of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so he had to be lifted up and to realize that he was a part of the vine already. He was one with Christ and just to rest in that relationship. Mm -hmm. So, Jeannie, what's the next step here? What does the vine uh, vine dresser do to the branch that is bringing forth fruit so that it brings forth more fruit? What does the vine dresser do here? So the vine dresser, um, he um, purges and prunes or cleans the branch. Mm -hmm. And he does this by removing dead leaves, um, insects, or washing the leaves so that the branch is healthy and can produce more fruit. Mm -hmm. Mm. Amen. And that's exactly what he wants to do in each of our lives, right, dear friends? Mm -hmm. So maybe there's something in your life that is paralyzing Mm -hmm. fruitfulness Mm -hmm. and so he's going to prune you. He might clean those things out of your life that are hindering fruitfulness, that are grieving the Spirit. Are you doing things that are grieving the Holy Spirit in your life, that are hindering the power of the Spirit in your life? Maybe there's some bad habits that need to be stripped away from you, dear friends, or wrong attitudes or sinful pride. And actually, I'd just like to offer a prayer mm-hmm. for our listeners that our listeners and all of us would be fruitful and bring forth fruit and even more fruit. That's what the Lord, Mm. he wants us to bring forth. And so let's pray together, dear friends, that you would bring forth fruit in your life. Maybe you're driving along. Maybe you're in in your kitchen. Maybe you're on your job. Maybe you're in a prison tonight. I don't know where you are. God sees you. Heavenly Father, please work we pray in the hearts and lives of each of our listeners and help them to call on your name and be saved, Lord Jesus, if they're not saved. Mm -hmm. Help them to cry out to you right now and say, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner, Mm -hmm. but I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose again. Call out to him, dear friends, and say, Lord Jesus, save me. And Lord, for those who are saved tonight, we pray that you would give them the grace to know that they are in Christ, in you, Lord Jesus, and you are in them. Christ, you are in us. You are our hope of glory. And we pray that your spirit and your life would live through us with joy and love and peace and goodness and gentleness and meekness and all that fruit of the spirit. And use us as well, Lord, to share the gospel with others that we could bring forth the fruit of souls in our soul-winning experience and share the gospel and that souls would be saved, dear God. Mm -hmm. So may we be fruitful for your glory, Lord Jesus that we might bring forth 
remaining fruit as mm-hmm. well in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And Pastor, you know what? That just reminded me too of the I am statement we discussed a couple of weeks ago. I am the good shepherd. Because, you know, going back to Psalm 23 where he says, your rod and your staff they comfort me. It's it's a similar idea. So God yeah. is cleaning the vine here and comforting the sheep through that process. That it's not super comfortable. You know, when when the sheep are getting swatted back into line, or when the vine is being cleaned by God, it's not a comfortable process. But when we come through it to the other side, you know, we look back on it and say, Oh, thank goodness, the vine dresser, our Father in mm. heaven, cleaned me. Amen. And dear friend, our phone lines are open. If you want. To get some spiritual encouragement, give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. We are here live to be an encouragement to you. So give us a call at 929-333-3739. So Esther, let's kind of dig down into this now. What does it mean for us to abide in Jesus? And what are some of the promises or what's a promise attached to abiding in Christ? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, in this passage, you know, this is like how you um, do the teachings for us, but the word abide or abideth actually in just those 17 verses alone was found nine times. Yeah. And so we don't use this word very often in our everyday conversation. Mm-hmm. So I looked mm-hmm. it up. Abide is the Greek word mino. And what stood out for me is to remain, to dwell to continue to be present with, Hmm. to last, to endure, to survive, to not become another or become different, to wait for or await one. So there's just so many definitions. And along with this, every time that word abide is used, it's associated with promises attached. So Jesus makes all these promises. So in verse 4, right, especially after just meditating on the definition of of abide, it's almost like a command and a promise combined. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. So Jesus is remaining with me. Jesus dwells with me. So Mm. if you're alone, Jesus is dwelling with you. Mm. Um, If you need someone to stand alongside with you, Jesus is saying he promises to continue to be present with you. If you're going through an illness or your family member is going through an illness, he's saying he's going to survive with you. And if you're going through tribulation, he's going to endure with you. So for me, it was just really mind-blowing because it really Mm. gave me a huge picture of how Jesus is with me and abiding with me. Uh, Amen. Like that we are in him Mm -hmm. that speaks of protection Mm -hmm. and that he is in us Mm -hmm. that speaks of power Mm -hmm. on the inside. And so... Praise God. And I I love verse Mm 7 on this, too, as like, what does it really, in a practical way, Mm. what does it mean to abide in Christ? So it's it's not talking about ritualism, where a lot of people look at it like just doing the Eucharist. Let's say Roman Catholics emphasize ritualism so much. And others might look at it in some kind of a mystical way. It's it's not like, ooh, you know, (laughs) it's not mystical, Mm -hmm. but it's... It's practical yeah. where his word is is abiding in us. We're thinking his word is continuing. His word is remaining in us. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus said in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So in a practical sense, we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us as as his word, right, is abiding. And then it, and then the, the, the result is is we talk to him in prayer, and he answers our prayer. So mm-hmm. praise God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just say, Pastor, one thing that goes along with that is, 
you know, when we think about the fruitfulness of Jesus, um, I, you know, Bethlehem Ephrathah, that was where he was born. That was where he was prophesied to be born, and that's where he was born. Well, Bethlehem, we discussed on this program, it means house of bread. But most people don't think about the word Ephrathah. It means fruitful. So Jesus was actually born in this place that is said to be the house of bread and fruitful. And it was really describing who he was in the place that he was born. Yeah. And you know what, too? The, the I am statements really focuses in on the deity of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. because of God speaking from the burning bush that he is God, the yeah. eternal God who's immutable. He doesn't change. Eternal and self-existent, self-sufficient God. Mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. But this statement, this declaration where he said, I am the vine, mm-hmm. Israel was to be the vine, but yeah. he was the true perfect vine. Mm-hmm. So this I am statement really focuses us in on his perfect humanity. Mm-hmm. Yes, his deity. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying not his deity at all. Right. But I, I am saying there's an emphasis upon his humanity mm-hmm. in this statement that he is the perfect Israelite mm-hmm. and that he's abiding in us and that his perfect humanity will, will live in us and through us. So we have a call from Jamie tonight. Uh, this is uh, our dear brother Jamie who heard us on the radio many years ago. Jamie, welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations program. Hey, Pastor, how you doing? Good, brother. How are you good? doing? Yeah, very well, very well, yep. yep. Just a little cold, but, you know, other than that, pretty pretty, pretty good. You'll be fine in no time. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a, a, a curious question, right? You know when uh, Jesus turned the war into wine, right? Okay. And some people say some people say it was like you know grape juice, but I I don't think you go to a wedding for grape juice. They were going there for wine, right? <laughs> and and he said to Mary, he said, "Woman, I'm not here for this." So I understand why he didn't stick by his guns and say, "No, I'm not going to do it," you know, because you know he shouldn't be. Uh, I mean, especially for the first miracle. Am I wrong? You mean, why would Jesus make wine that was alcoholic? Is that what your question is at, for his first well, miracle? And you, you, yeah, you're well, questioning not, that? Not just that, but well, no, what I mean basically is why didn't he just say no? You know, because he said, woman, I'm not here for this. Because really, yeah. he didn't really want to do it, and he said that, right? So why didn't he just say well, no? Per, first of all, I will say that Jesus Christ did not make anything that could bring any level of harm to anyone, okay? So he only did miracles to show forth the glory of God because that's why he did it. He he did it, as it says in verse 11, this beginning of miracles, did Jesus in Cain of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So that was the fruit of that miracle. So that's why he did it. And not because uh, Mary pressured him to do it, but because it was unto the glory of God, and it led to the faith of his followers. Okay, but 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 you agree with me that he didn't really want to do it in the first place? Because um, he said, "Woman, I'm not here for this." Right? No, that's not real. That's not what he said, though. So um, she okay. said, "She said they have no wine," and and he did. I think. And I'm not fully prepared. You know, I haven't studied this out uh, freshly. But when he said, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So I believe that he he was 
just saying to her, it's it's not up to you to decide what I am to do. There was, he was somewhat distancing himself from her. But then uh, Mary said, whatever he says to you, do. Mm-hmm. In other words, so she was submitting to what his will was. Mm-hmm. So I believe okay. that he did what God wanted him to do mm-hmm. and not what Mary wanted him to do, for right. sure. And I, and I do think that there were a limited amount of people at that wedding who actually knew about the miracle. There were the servants and there were his disciples. But, you know, possibly one thing that she had in mind is saying, you know, Jesus, reveal yourself here at this wedding to the entire crowd. But we know that not the entire crowd knew it because it says in verse 9, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was not made wine, he knew not whence it was. So he didn't the the wedding uh, planner basically he didn't know where the wine had come from so Jesus wasn't revealing his true identity to everybody there at the wedding it was a limited amount of people so maybe that was part of it but right. Jamie thanks so much so for wasn't calling. okay all right thank you you answered the question thank you okay. all right Bye-bye. okay thank you Jamie and God bless you Jesus did the will of God he said I do always those things that please him. Mm. Every word he spoke, he said in another place, it was the words that the Father told him to do. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, every word, every work that Jesus Christ did, it was according to the Father's will in his life. And he wasn't pressured by man, mm-hmm. even or by his mother, mm-hmm. to do anything. Mm-hmm. but only the will he said my meat right and uh, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me mm-hmm. so we have to really look at the big picture uh, there on on that passage okay let's get back into john 15 and this abiding relationship now this abiding relationship begins in salvation when we do believe in jesus christ we confess that he is the son of god and by faith we are made one with him. Then we have to live out that abiding relationship. So let's talk about that. What is it to live out this relationship? Jeannie, if we could start with you here on how do we live out this relationship with Jesus Christ? So one way we do this is by having his word abide in us. Mm-hmm. Um, as yes. we spend time in the word... Uh, not only do we learn how to live a spiritual life, but we also get to know God in an intimate way. Um, so his word becomes more and more, as his word becomes more and more familiar, then Jesus becomes more and more familiar to us. So mm. there's that um, special relationship. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, you hear his voice, you hear him leading you and guiding you from his word and 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 then he hears us mm-hmm. i know the the more i i read the more i want to read yeah and because i want that relationship you know i want his thoughts to be my thoughts and Amen. and his desires to be my desires because it works <laughs> yeah yeah and his presence is experienced through his word Mm-hmm. You know, when we hear him speak to us, we experience his presence. That's how you experience the presence of someone, right? You you hear their word or you talk with them. And so 
That's the relationship that we have with him through his word. Micah, how's another way that we live out this abiding relationship? Mm-hmm. Well, another way we do it is to love thy neighbor as thyself. First uh, John 4.12 says, in part, if we love one another... God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And there's the often quoted phrase about loving your neighbor, and it originally comes from Leviticus chapter 19, where God was laying out specific ways for the people to do this, including caring for the poor and administering godly justice. And then, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus reiterates that command and also illuminates it uh, through his parable of the Good Mm -hmm. Samaritan, explaining that the believer's love must even apply to a person who is considered an enemy. And then Jesus not only explained that through the parable, he lived it out. He was our ultimate example of this love when he died for his friends and his enemies on the cross Mm. while they or we were yet sinners. So the more we love our fellow man, both the lost and the saved, the more that we are abiding in Christ and the more we exhibit that we have been transformed by our salvation in Jesus. I'll just read one more verse. First John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not is his brother abideth in death. Amen. So, dear friends, you're in Christ. So Jesus said, Continue ye. And as Dr. Han brought out earlier, that word continue is the same word abide. Mm-hmm. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. So that's what Jesus said. Continue in my love. You're in Christ. Abide in him and let his love flow through you. Dr. Hahn, how else do we live out this relationship, do you think? So we also abide in Jesus by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So again, I had mentioned before that in chapter 14, Jesus told his disciples of a comforter coming, right? Mm -hmm. I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So Apostle John takes this further in his epistles. So 1 John 3.24, I mean, he makes it no clear, right? The latter part of that verse says, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. So he Mm -hmm. reiterates that point. And then um, Apostle John takes it another one in the next chapter. Um, in 4.13, he says, Hereby we know that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. So, again, John makes it so clear to us mm-hmm. that the Comforter will help us in walking a- as we abide with Jesus. Amen. So, dear friends, abide in Jesus. And I love what Jesus said. This is why we have to abide in him, because he said, Without me... Ye can do nothing. nothing. That is such an absolute statement. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely humbling to us that we can do nothing without him. It is absolutely sure that we're fruitless without abiding in him. And that it's absolutely sure you're certain of being a failure if you don't abide in Jesus, Mm -hmm. spiritually speaking. And so he said, without me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. So, but that gives me challenge and hope mm-hmm. because this is not a day for me to be doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do nothing. No. I want to do something. And so, but I, we can as we abide in Jesus Christ. And the, I have to recognize this. The sum total of we, what we can do without Jesus is nothing. Mm-hmm. Micah, last word. What happens to those who are not abiding in Christ? Yeah, well, verse 15, 6 says that those men will be with, you know, branches that are broken off, withered, gathered by men, and cast into the fire and burned. And again, you know, the common 
you know, illustration of the Bible is this fire and the fire of hell mm-hmm. being separated from God. And that's what's going to happen if people don't abide in Christ. So we call on anyone tonight who is not abiding come. in Christ, come to him Amen. tonight. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. Believe on Jesus, dear friends. We love you, but most of all, God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. Good night, guys. Thanks so much for sharing. Let's abide in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then, rejoice in the Lord.